300, 400 devices or whatever, you know, on, on the, the plant floor. We keep track of them in spreadsheets and C drives. And, you know, sometimes we actually lose track of them, which we hear about. Or maybe the code is just on the machines. We don't even keep track of it in a, a file base or, or it's hard for us to have visibility into that. Yeah. So you're looking at that world and then you're like, well, how are you deploying change? Well, we go to each different vendor product yeah. for each of the different machines on our floor. We program in that development environment and then yeah. we deploy through the development environment. So it gets very complicated. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Traditionally, manufacturers didn't have to worry about software development or release processes as the only software they utilized for their business processes was packaged software. But with Industry 4.0, manufacturers are utilizing more and more software in their OT environment. This requires their software life cycle to be controlled and it needs to be compliant with any changes in the hardware. But how? Well, that's where DevOps can help. Utilizing DevOps practices can reduce disruptions and improve operational efficiency. In today's episode, our guest Adam Gluck shares his insights on the importance of structured software development and release processes and the role of DevOps for manufacturing OT environments. He also discusses the role of custom development and where it makes sense for Industry 4.0 initiatives. Finally, he discusses how DevOps processes differ in the OT environment from IT and why IT DevOps tools such as Git would not suffice the needs of the OT environment. Let me introduce Adam to you. Adam Gluck was an early hire for Uber's driver engineering team and later was the founding engineer on Uber's engineering strategy team. At Uber, Adam worked on multiple rewrites of Uber's driver app, the processes to ship the driver app to millions of drivers each month and helped redesign Uber's overall microservice architecture. He founded Copia to bring the same best practices that top-tier engineering organizations use to the fundamental technology that runs our economy. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey Adam, welcome to the show. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. I am super excited to have you as well, just because the cutting edge stuff that you are doing in the industry for our leadership, this is going to be so powerful for our listeners. Just to kick things off, Adam, do you want to start with your personal story 
and your current focus? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, my background, um, you know, it's funny, I, I've given the answer to this for a long time since starting the company. Yeah. So there's kind of two things I talked about was, was, you know, DevOps and then operational technology and how those come together. Yeah. My DevOps background really came from the IT world. Um, so I started at, uh, you know, Uber, um, I built out the team that, the, that uh, builds the app that drivers use in particular driver platform. So basically oh, wow. like a, a highly scalable uh, platform that made it so, you know, we could ship a, uh, an app to, you know, 100,000 drivers and then eventually to, to 4 million drivers a month. So yeah. really we dealt with that growth and I, I joined when there was about four engineers and we scaled it to 200 engineers. From there, I switched over to engineering strategy. So as part of the office of the CTO, thinking about, you know, how do 3,800 engineers at Uber um, build? So I was really focused on those DevOps questions. Manufacturing uh, and industrials came out through a different route. So I, I grew up in Michigan. I, I yeah. had a lot of family in industrials. It was just kind of part of what was around me in general um, as, I, as I was growing up, you know, coming from, you know, outside Detroit and, and all that, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, and then, you know, as I kind of continue to scale my career, I was always interested in that kind of bits and atoms question. So, you know, yeah. how do you... Um, you know, write software that moves things in the real world. And I was always trying to get closer and closer to kind of uh, these sorts of solutions. So I always say I love developer platforms, but I love infrastructure. It's yep. like called developer infrastructure. I love infrastructure, things that are, are foundational to how everything works. And, um, you know, so I kind of kind of stumbled into the manufacturing world, looking at different startups um, as I was exploring different career options and kind of starting to figure out, you know, at one point I was asking, how do you actually build a, a manufacturing? So I stumbled across you know, operational te technology. So programmable control, logic controllers, you know, all the code that runs the manufacturing floor. And I was like, hey, you know what? Uh, it's interesting that DevOps is missing from that space. Seems really useful, yeah. um, and so you know, I started digging into it. Now, the the other piece of this that I, that I think was is meaningful is you know, over time, you know, I've been I've been I've been running this company for for two and a half, you know, three years now. So as you start to look at that, you're really talking about talking to to engineers every every week. So I think yeah. I came into the the industrial space, you know, maybe slightly naive, but now I've talked to you know hundreds of manufacturers and industrials, and I think from that we've really honed you know how does DevOps you know intersect with operational technology. I don't think there's there's too many people in general who have that sort of background or can, can speak to that the way that I think I can or, or we yeah. can in general. Yeah, so this is going to be very interesting. Number one, obviously, what work you have done uh, uh, for Uber, obviously, that's massive overall, even from the IT capability perspective. And now mm -hmm. you are trying to bring the same intel to the industrial sector. Obviously, yeah. the industrial space has always been sort of laggard in terms of adopting the technology. So it's going to be so fascinating to discuss all of that. But before we dig into all of that, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest. And that is going to be, Adam, your perspective on business growth. On um, business growth, yes. Yeah. Yes. So how do businesses grow in general? I mean, to me, I think like, you know, uh, there's there's like a startup software way that businesses grow, yeah. how, how they grow. And then there's how, how you know, I think, in, uh, you know, manufacturing industrial organizations grow over time. You know, the, the where we sit in that is really, you know, about time to market, bringing new products to market innovation, right? Like, how do you build an engineering team? And obviously, I come out of the engineering world that can be truly innovative. But once they innovate, once they have, you know, some realization about what should exist, they can bring it to market quickly and, and efficiently, right? Yeah. So I think one of the big benefits to us um, when, when I start thinking about innovation and innovation within industrials is really that time to market question. So as you start to adopt DevOps tool chains, you can say, hey, I can bring a large engineering team to, yeah. to collaborate together so that they can build something much faster. I um, mean, that's been a lot of our, our feedback from our customers has been, you know, hours saved for engineers. But there's also other ways where it's like, you know, right now um, in the operational technology world, and this might be shocking to, to people who aren't, you know, fully living on the, the manufacturing floor, or the yeah. plant floor, 
you know, it's actually hard to get multiple engineers to even work on the same project at the same time. So you might have, you know, multiple engineers working on different PLCs, but getting 10 engineers to, to work on one project so they can get to market in a week, as opposed to 10 weeks is very difficult to do with the existing tool chain. So building out those sorts of solutions, and there's a lot of these, you know, issues in the space, you know, code review, consistent yeah. process to capture issues be before they become production issues, yeah. enables you to really accelerate the go-to-market reusable code, you know, really enables you to, to accelerate a go-to-market for products. And so when I think about business growth, yeah. I think about business growth for us as a, as a tech startup where innovation is our business, but also, you know, industrial companies, you know, oftentimes I think innovation and, and being able to drive improvements across your processes and, and how you how you build things is what enables you to, to get a better margin or enables you to have a better go to market um, and, and, and all that. So I think to me, that's really where growth comes from yeah. um, you know, for, for a business, a true growth. Okay, amazing. So obviously, I don't know if you have had any sort of manufacturing or industrial background when you moved from the tech world. And sometimes that could be shocking, especially when you are going to be reviewing the OT capabilities or the way OT organizations are structured. I'm pretty sure you are probably going to agree with me that they are not really mature in terms of their software development capabilities and based on the new technology and the robotics, uh, obviously, you know, everybody's sort of trying to jump and they are trying to code as much as possible. But typically from my experience, from my personal background, software development has a process and DevOps is probably going to be the next stage. First, you need to figure out, okay, are you following the process? What I have seen in the OT world right now, the, the kind of, you know, maturity I see I don't even see them writing the requirements, following sort of the process, doing the design, and then finally develop something and figure out, okay, yeah. how the overall solution is going to work. So do you share similar experience when you are working with these companies that they are not as mature overall in their software development practices? Or are you seeing different from what I'm seeing in my space? Yeah, I mean, I think there's kind of there's kind of two things. I mean, uh, one thing is I did come into the space and I try to be really humble because I think one issue that can happen with like, yeah. you know, Silicon Valley companies or, you know, tech startups is you come in, and you're like, well, everyone's doing everything wrong. And like my, I came in with the assumption, I'm like, I, I assume there's a reason why yeah. we're building the way that we're building them. Yeah. I can dig in more of the details of our solution, but you know, these are specific, we kind of have four pillars that we look at. So like, how do you manage your code, you know, the yeah. files, how do you test your code, yeah. how do you deploy your code? And then once you deploy it, how do you monitor it to make sure you didn't break anything? That's yeah. the whole DevOps cycle, yeah. you know? And so when I start looking at those pillars, I'm like, well, I'm sure there's a reason people are doing things the way that they are. Yeah. And then you know, as I came into the space and I talked to people, you know, controls engineers came back to me and were yeah. saying, well, we don't know why we do it this way. In fact, we know these things exist in the IT world, but they seem to be missing from the OT world. How do we build a solution? Yeah. So, you know, we had someone, and I'd actually not even prompt them on what we're doing. Like, what do you need? And they'd say, well, we need an automated testing framework because we do. it takes us a weeks to do manual tests and deploy code changes. Yeah. So for me, you know, coming in the space in a very humble way, you know, I was like, well, why are these missing? And there was already a recognition, I think, in the space itself from controls engineers, and they tend to be our biggest advocates, the little engineers on the ground, you know, um, that, that there is some of this process missing. Now, when I think about maturity of, of manufacturing engineer organizations, they're very mature, right? Yeah. In the sense that they're, they're running technology that's, you know, multi-million dollar lines. You know, I, I talk about this with like oil and gas, you know, people have been uh, drilling for oil since the 1850s. Yeah. So if you look at, a, at us coming in and be like, well, throw everything on the cloud, I understand why there's some reticence because it's just a, a different time scale. Yeah. And so I think when you start looking at developer processes and how you write code in, in manufacturing and industrials, yeah. it's actually part of a continuum where yeah. now is kind of the right time. It might have not been the right time 10 years ago because there might have been another set of technical concerns that are very real concerns. Yeah. What we've seen as we come into organizations is more and more stuff is getting pushed into the software layer. So that's yeah. the big thing. 
And so as you push more and more of your logic, you know, industry 4.0 is a piece of that, but there's, yeah. we obviously just more kind of separate from industry 4.0 and how you write code. But as you put more and more of your logic of what you're doing in a software, yeah. DevOps becomes important because you, you just have more of a software organization inherently. So I think part of why there's a recognized pain point, why it wasn't us just coming in and being like, you're immature, you know, yeah. which I don't think anyone would react well to, you know, just yeah, as a yeah. human being, yeah, yeah. you know, was that actually people had already invested heavily in putting a lot of stuff into the software layer. And then they're trying to figure out how to organize that. And that's where DevOps comes in. So we're really end up being that kind of organizational structure and process for when you've put a lot of code um, and you put a lot of your logic of what you're doing in the software layer. And the final, final thing I'll add on this, um, I'm yeah. sorry, it's a little bit of the explanation, is the whole process of moving to PLCs yeah. was this question of moving things out of hardware and putting into software, yeah. right? So there's a continuum. The reason you put software is someone always says the software is soft. So it's easy to change. Yeah. And so if you had big relay systems in the 1970s, and then you put on a programmable logic controller, yeah. now you're getting the software soft benefit. You can reprogram it more quickly. Yeah. And that's back to agility. That's back to faster time to market. That's back to, to innovation, which you know, my mind is critical to growth. Okay. So we are going to touch a little bit uh, you know, deeper into this whole notion of custom development because you know, some of my listeners might not be familiar with why the custom development is really required. So when you compare this, let's say, with your Uber experience, right? So in case of Uber, obviously, the platform that you had built, that was part of sort of the service offering, the product offering, and it was critical for the business operations. But when you compare yeah. and contrast, let's say, this with uh, your manufacturers or their IT, typically, they are not going to be doing as much custom development. If I want, I mean, I can probably create my custom ERP, but it doesn't make any sense because that has already been done. It will be reinventing the wheel if we are creating this. Now, in the OT world, there are some differences. And the argument that I get from the OT community is it's very heterogeneous environment. So your standard off-the-shelf solutions are probably not going to work for the OT yeah. environment. So now I'm actually going to be asking you, okay, how true is that in your experience? Okay, which are the industries that are going to be really good fit for the custom development? In case of system integrators in the OT community, it makes sense for them because it's actually part of their product offering and they need to do the custom development if they want to differentiate. But for the end users, does it still make sense to do the custom development or they are better off buying some of the off-the-shelf products? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, it's an question like off-the-shelf products. I mean, so here's the reality. If you're yeah. a large manufacturer and you yeah. have an industrial site, you know, and you're, you're running like a full-scale operation, you have probably 150 PLCs yeah. running on your manufacturing floor, maybe more. We've heard up to a thousand. Yeah. You have robots running on the manufacturing floor. Yeah. You have sensors running on the manufacturing floor. Whether you like it or not, yeah. there is a lot of software yeah. running in your manufacturing site in this world as it is right now. Now, the question is, custom development versus off the shelf. I've never yeah. run into one manufacturer that can do that entirely off the shelf way because yeah. you are coordinating custom process. So you might be able to buy components from a machine builder or something else that's that's off the shelf for, for one component of, of what you're doing, yeah. but ultimately you need to wire it together and get it all to work. And that's part of that move towards code and manufacturing. So that's one piece, which is like, I actually push back into the idea that there are people that aren't doing custom development. If you think you're not doing custom development, yeah. you probably are. And in fact, there's probably many more people who are writing code in your manufacturing site than you realize. And, and so oftentimes you talk to, to end users and they'll say, hey, we maybe have four to five, let's say three to five controls engineers, you know, at the site, but we contract out to 20 to 30. Yeah. You know, you're, you're actually having 30 people from multiple organizations touching code in your manufacturing floor. And even if you take a custom solution or off the shelf solution, and they're pushing an update. Do you know that updates happening? Is it auditable? Yeah. Do you know what codes running your manufacturing site? One thing that's actually absolutely shocking to me, I had to ask anyone who's maybe in an executive role here, you know, is like, 
do if you ask the director of engineering for a given site, yeah. you know, what's codes running on our site? You know, they can't actually answer that question. There's no visibility into what code's running. And so if you have a contract and there's a regression in yeah. your industrial process and you 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 mess up as a supplier, yeah. you know, or you know, your customer has an issue, you know, and they come back to you and said, what changed, which we see happening a lot in contracts, people can't answer that question very well right now across the industry. And that's just one basic use case. You know, there's a million other of these, these kind of things that I could talk about. You yeah. start looking at these things and you're like, hey, actually, this is just driving quality, ultimately, quality of the end product, yeah. quality of the process, and, and also uptime. So I think there is a lot of change in these environments. And this was actually, ultimately, as I came into this, this idea, I'd be like, well, you know, we'd hear from some people and they'd say, hey, the coach is running, it's fine, you know, yeah. especially at the executive level. But then we talked to the engineers and they're like, night shift always comes in and they're wiring things up. And, you know, and like, I always come in and the codes always change and they're getting yeah. these fights. So building that sort of visibility, especially as an end user. So that visibility yeah. into who's changing your code, why, if you have these you know, 20, 30 people coming in throughout a year or two year period yeah. know, is, is really important, I think, for running a, a, a you know, mature engineering organization and owning the quality of your end product. So that's very interesting. So you made a very interesting comment there about director of engineering digging into this process. So which director of engineering are we talking about? Are we talking about director of software engineering or is it part of the engineering organization which are responsible for the design and R&D of the manufactured product? Which director are we talking about here? Yeah, so a very common like common set of titles that would kind of almost be like director of controls engineering, yeah. director of automation engineering, okay. director of manufacturing engineering. I think those are, are pretty common titles. Typically, you know, you wouldn't wouldn't be a, a director of software engineering who's doing this, yeah. someone who, who works with controls engineers. So this tend to be the people who who do this. Software tends to be, you know, tied to IT, or they yeah. call it IT in all of these organizations. Yeah. Um, sometimes there's collaboration. Oftentimes OT teams have a dependency on the IT team. So we'll talk to a company and they'll say, we're an IT department. We actually sometimes have IT people call us in where they're like, we're an IT department. We support the controls orgs from a tooling perspective and we own uptime, but like, we don't really know anything about controls. So that yeah. happens sometimes. And then they're always flabbergasted. Those are actually our best customers because all this process already exists in the IT world. And they're like, we can't even do code review yeah. in the OT world. And they're like, and this is the code running our, you know, multi-million dollar line or our process that has to be safe, you know, <laughs> or yeah. it has to be yeah. running 99% of the time, you know, and they're just shocked. And those are actually people who pull us in often yeah so that's very interesting so let's uh you know go back to your comment about the manufacturers having a lot of code and i completely agree with you there uh that even though you might be buying a lot of different off-the-shelf products you are still going to own that wiring or integration now when we look at things i mean from our perspective we look at the holistic picture we don't look at just this is your plant floor versus this is your procurement versus this is your warehouse. For us, what we need to do is we need to align the entire technology uh, landscape. Tomorrow, if there is going to be a maintenance problem, I need to look at which department is facing the problem and how we can solve that holistically so that if you fix something here, that's not going to break for somebody else uh, because that's going to yeah. be a massive problem, right? Cybersecurity, that has to be the centrally governed process. We can't be like, you know, this is IT's uh, cybersecurity process. Uh, this is your OT cybersecurity process. It has to be centrally governed. So now let's go yeah. back to your comment about the, the ownership of the software. The more software that you are going to own, especially for the end users, again, for the system integrators, it makes sense yeah. because it's part of their product. For the end users, the more software that you are going to main, the more dollars are you are going to uh, spend in maintaining that code. So obviously, some of those wirings and integration you have to own because that's part of your process framework because that's how your transactions are processed, right? 
So in their yeah. case, let's say if they are owning all of that. So in my case, I am already doing, for example, the software development process or the release process across the system landscape, because we need to make sure all of the systems are going to work together. So I am yeah. already doing that for 75% of the business processes. So why is OT so different that you need a specialized type of process for your OT environment compared to the 75% of the organization that can live with yeah. the standardized IT process. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, so I would say like the interesting thing is OT is just missing this. So all yeah. the use cases we talk about are things that are like almost impossible to do in the current environment. So you're like, let's say you have a global issue and you okay. want to do a migration and resolve that issue globally. Good luck. You know, because like if you can't even tell me what code's running on a PLC, yeah, you know, how are you going to migrate it to, to solve a security vulnerability if that exists? Or, you know, let's say you want to bump the firmware of all of your machines or something like that. That becomes a really big challenge, right? Okay. Um, reusable code is like not well supported in this in this world. So like pushing that globally is, is a big challenge, you know. Okay. So talking about a lot of these things that you talked about that are all IT processes, they're literally yeah. just missing from OT. And that's the flabbergastedness of IT departments when they yeah. come in, you know. Digital transformation is one thing that comes in. Obviously, there's there's pros and cons, you know, and I'm not, you know, it, but it is pushing a lot of code changes in these environments. So if you're trying yeah. to change a thousand PLCs, we've heard these taking two, three, four years. So, and, you know, I, I kind of ground this, actually, this often when I use, in, when I'm talking to investors as my pitch deck to ground the use case is, yeah. you know, yeah. let's say you're someone pushing a digital transformation initiative, you're bought into that idea. And then you're like, great, we're going to like push a change to all of our different PLCs, you know, and we're going to like put the sensor in place, right? It sounds like it should be doable yeah. in like kind of a fastish way. And then what happens is like you look at the actual operation of doing that and yeah. it's like, copying and pasting, renaming files. There's no reusable code. It's bespoke on each machine. And then you actually look at code review, people still print out papers. You know, the storage, you don't even know where the files are stored. So it like just operationally becomes really hard to do things at scale. And yeah. so to answer your question, you know, this is missing from OT. Now the, the other piece of question is, like, well, why is it missing from OT, right? And I think it's not a question of like, should it be there? Because I got back to my initial story of like, I talked to all the OT departments and I was like, well, there must be good reason this isn't here. And they're like, no, we want it. You know what I mean? That's why yeah. we have a company is because we got that sort of response. The reason it's missing is because of the the tooling. So if you talk about you know the existing platforms that run in manufacturing, so we had a customer. This is like a top global brand. Talked to us and they said, you know, we've had a number. So back to those thirty people, maybe touching your site or more per year. They all use different tools because yeah. they prefer them, and we, they didn't have a strong opinion for a while. Now they say, hey, we have five different PLC vendors, yeah. three different robot vendors. We have all these. We have Raspberry Pis gathering. Like we can't even keep track of it. You know yeah. what was happening there. Um, and all those vendors have slightly different platforms. And so where we come in as a solution um, yeah. and why we're actually useful to these larger organizations in particular is we're multi-vendor. So you can use that at any site, you can use it with any different vendor product, you yeah. know, um, and that becomes really important. But the reason that the solution hasn't been built is that OT is almost this mirror universe to IT where all these tools are useful, but they're they're hard to build and they don't exist because if they're produced, they're produced by an individual vendor. It's hard to get a multi-vendor product. It's hard to get something that captures the scope of, you know, hundreds of devices on per plant, you know, running code, you know, that are all different from different vendors. So basically, let me make sure I understand this. So, so basically, even if, let's say, if I am the manufacturer and I am buying all of my off-the-shelf software, for example, let's say you mentioned that you might have different types of PLCs, they might have their own software. Yeah. So basically, even if I have the off-the-shelf software, I still need to control the release process of all of those devices if i don't control that then obviously i'm going to have a lot of problems because one may be updated the second may not be updated and i i need to know all of that so yeah. is it simply controlling the release process why is the custom code still required when i am actually 
buying of the shell software? Is it simply to just promote the updates on these devices? What is the role of custom code? Why do we have so much custom code in the OT environment? Yeah, I mean, like, look, if you talk to anyone yeah. uh, about like what makes their company great, or a lot of different companies, you know, what makes your company great? A lot of it is, you know, process engineering at the start state, you know, like they have a solution that's better, you know, a yeah. formula that's better, a, a production process that's slightly improved. None of that can be bought off the shelf. So there is always going to be some custom code in a manufacturing environment. I haven't come across one manufacturing environment that can do all off the shelf. And in fact, it almost doesn't make sense. You need a controller layer there. You need PLCs to coordinate those different components. It's either going to be a, a system integrator building that for you, or you're going to do it internally. There is always going to be a lot of custom code in any manufacturing environment, in my experience, talking to hundreds of manufacturers. So I don't think there's truly an off the shelf solution, but yeah. even in the world where you do have like, let's say a lot of off the shelf solutions, I would almost define that as something a machine builder built that maybe get a system integrator put together, or you, you buy it from a, you know, like Rockwell doesn't sell pre-programmed PLC. They just sell you a PLC and you program it, right? But yeah. if you did have something that looks like, you know, um, you know, off the shelf in that way, you would still have to 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 manage the the assets there. You know, you'd still have to manage your code that that's running there and have visibility into what's running. Because if something breaks, like you should know what code is running in your manufacturing site. It's like a very basic. You know, this sometimes we actually say we're not a revolution, we're common sense. Yeah, because it's like seems like common sense that you should know what code is running your your critical uh, industrial processes. Yeah. So from the DevOps perspective, let's say, you know, my understanding of DevOps is, you know, you want to have your controlled release of the changes. So your yeah. processes are going to be slightly more controlled than creating the, this chaos of the software, right? So I yeah. don't know, uh, you know, from the architecture perspective, if you look at the overarching architecture, right? So in the on the shop floor, you are going to have many different tools. Obviously, you have your PLCs, you have your HMI, SCADA, you know, I don't know whether you might have NES. So from your tool perspective, do you control the entire architecture or do you control a specific portion of the process and then you work with, let's say, uh, if you want to control this DevOps with the ID side of things, how are you going to collaborate with, with the architecture? Yeah, so 100%. So the big thing, so yeah, that's a great question. So like, and it's like, what, what is the scope of developer operations yeah. as a piece of this, right? Like, and, and to your point, developer operations, DevOps is just about getting code on the machine. And it's yeah. operation, it's the name, it's operation. I think people get shortened to DevOps and they forget. We're talking about is like the operations yeah. of developers. How yeah. do developers work together to get code out there? Yeah. And in, in that yeah. way, you know, it's just ensuring that you have stable process for yeah. making changes so things don't break you know yeah. what i mean like that that's kind of the key thing yep um and so you know i think to your point it's like where we would sit in that platform is you say hey i have you know 300 400 devices or whatever you know on on the the plant floor we keep track of them in spreadsheets and c drives and you know sometimes we actually lose track of them which we hear about or maybe the code is just on the machines we don't even keep track of it in a, in a file base or, or it's hard for us to have visibility into that yeah. so you're looking at that world and then you're like well how are you deploying change well we go to each different vendor product yeah. for each of the different machines on our floor we program in that development environment and then yeah. we deploy through the development environment so it gets very complicated like how do you maintain a consistent process to ensure yeah. that you're doing all the right things before you actually deploy your code in that environment what our platform will do over time and, and does right now is, is it helps you start to build some of that process in place so right now we have a solution that's very tied to file management but also makes it so you can build a process where your code's always reviewed before it's actually merged you know before yeah. it's actually leveraged so you start to build that sort of strong operational practice within your engineering teams and this unlocks a lot ultimately i don't yeah. know if that captures your question 
Yeah, it does. So thank you so much for that. So I'm actually going to compare this, uh, you know, with the IT environment a little bit more so that users can relate because they, I don't know, you know, how much familiarity they are going to have the nuances uh, of the OT floor, but from the IT perspective, a lot of people can understand this. So let's say if I am running my IT shop, even in case of IT, I am going to have a lot of different devices. They are going to be slightly more regulated just because of the time that we have uh, spent dealing with the issues in the IT environment. For example, let's say you are going to have a bunch of you know mobile phones. You are going to have your computers, printers. I don't know what all you are going to have, right? So, so uh, you know, from the process perspective, if I am simply the IT manager, where my role is just to manage these devices as opposed to managing the enterprise software that is controlling my business processes. So for this, I am going to be needing a software that controls the controlled release of all of these devices so that I'm making sure that I don't have any cybersecurity vulnerabilities, right? I don't have any sort of uh, you know problems because of the release process, right? I am patching my servers if I may have any sort of internal data center, but that is still at the infrastructure layer. That is not at the business logic layer, right? So is the mindset similar in the OT environment as well? When you are saying that, you know what, I am trying to control the updates to these devices and the firmware in a controlled manner, are you still talking about the infrastructure issues or are you talking about the business logic layer as well? Yeah, sorry. And I should have been clear on this. We're primarily on the business logic layer. So the application logic that runs on the machines. So you look at like a, you know, a ACD file that contains the process logic for a PLC. Yeah. You know, that's where people store code. Yeah. I mentioned firmware earlier as like an example of a thing that you might want to deal with, but primarily, you know, we're actually dealing with application uh, business logic um, for the actual logic that runs the, the site. Okay. Do you have any specific stories that you might be able to share just to paint a little bit better picture? So maybe talk about a business, you know, talk about their business model, what core business challenges that they had. I know you spoke about code being all over the place. And obviously, because of that, you are going to have a lot of challenges, but a lot of executives might not be able to relate with, right? So talk about the, you know, from the bottom line, top line perspective. Okay, what were the specific challenges uh, and what was the compelling factor that drove the change that got you got invited and, you know, they had to fix something. So do you want to share that story? Yeah. And some of these I can use names and some of them I can't. So I'll try and keep it um, yeah. broad. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I can give a few different examples. So you, you can talk about, I think one one big thing about this is, uh, you know, like consistency and, and, for example, reusability of code. Yeah. So we have one, uh, and actually we're going to do a lot of manufacturing. We have one manufacturer. Um, and basically what they're looking for is how to have a consistent um, site, you know, for, uh, they, they want to have consistency for how they, how they build those out. So. Yeah. Basically, what we enable is for them to have like reusable code, so they can actually say, "Hey, let's let's reuse the same logic uh, yeah. in each different site." So you start looking at that that kind of code reusability um, as a as a major component. There, we have another company that's that's trying to do uh, a very aggressive go to market with some new products. What, what we're enabling is is that sort of collaboration layer. So there, for example, you know, running the running into how do we get multiple engineers working on the same project at the same time? You know. Um, so for us, we enable that sort of collaboration. Um, so you start to look at that. We have machine builders, you know, that actually will have a master build of, of their code and then they'll kind of repeat it across each one. So it's once again, that kind of code reusability, yeah. but also, you know, being able to keep track of what's changed, um, as they go into each of those different, different builds, you know, so you start to look at these different use cases like that and, and it starts to look like, you know, this is just kind of enabling these different, uh, kind of engineering, uh, efficiencies and processes where you can, you know, reuse your code, you can merge code. You know, yeah. we have another, another customer that has an extremely rigorous 
code review process that they're already doing this manual. So basically every time someone commits a change, they have to comment on every single line change and, and check off on it, you know, before they can can enable a change. That's very painful for both the people that work with them as external uh, vendors and for the company itself. You know, we we enable them to actually work with their their vendors uh, in an efficient way. Often, things that we hear between end users and, and system integrators is is a question of visibility. So, you know, uh, system integrators want to make sure that you know they can have a track record of the changes they had and have a check off from an end user to make sure that works. And then end users often want to make sure that they're aware of all the changes that a system integrator put into a, a process and that they have visibility into what's going into their manufacturing process. So that's that's a very common use case as well. Um, so it kind of enables that that kind of deeper collaboration between between those different teams. And then obviously internal sharing of code and review and centralization, all that stuff are, are huge benefits as well. So you start looking at those broad use cases, but, and, and there's a lot of them there. And you look at this as like net net what's happening for like individual engineering organizations and it starts to like look like a disaster. Like you don't have any reusable code, yeah. review process are ad hoc, you don't know where your files are, you know, and all of that becomes really, really painful for the engineering organization and something that might not be noticed noticed at, at, at an executive level, partly because it's obfuscated under, hey, the code's always running. It seems like it's always working. You know, it's yeah. like, well, actually, you know, it's, it's taking a lot of time for these, these teams. Okay, amazing. So let's talk about a, a scenario. And I'm pretty sure, you know, when you are talking to these customers, you have some sort of qualification for, uh, to make sure that whichever customer you are working with, they are really going to get value uh, from your product and the service offering. So let's talk about some of the customers. And especially when you talk about these newer technologies, especially the smaller companies are going to be super excited. You know what? I want to get this. But you know in your heart that, you know, that's probably going to be a really terrible idea if you actually <laughs> allowed them to whatever they are asking uh, and because of that i mean obviously you don't want to get any any sort of bad customers right so yeah. uh, so do you have any examples or the stories where this process or the devops could be a terrible idea and then you had to sort of convince them that no no, no this is not a right fit do you have any stories there yeah i mean honestly if you look at it engineering teams of any size yeah. will use solutions that look like this you know i mean like one engineer will use Git for source control management, yeah. teams of 10, teams of 100. These tools yeah. are highly scalable and they're they're built for, for a lot of different sorts of organizations. Yeah. I think for some of the basic components of our solution, like just having good file management, code review, et cetera, like I think that's part of any mature engineering organization should yeah. have those processes in place. Like you should have someone check off that what you wrote isn't broken. You know what I mean? And, and I think like if that wasn't happening and you were an executive, you'd probably be shocked, um, but it doesn't happen all the time, you know? Uh, so I think there's a lot of organizations that, that need those sorts of solutions probably i would say now you can look at different parts of our solution yeah and they work better for certain customers so if you look at source control you know purely as source control yeah it's it's super valuable for uh system integrators and, and machine builders i'd say you know um oftentimes actually very advanced manufacturers as well as well because they tend to have a lot of process already and yeah. this augments the pre-existing process because they, yeah. they kind of see the time savings and the time to market yeah so those tend to be customers and, and probably larger mid-market customers as well tend to be good for this um you know one person on a plant you know who's a mechanic you know maintaining some some small smaller industrial site they're not gonna get as much benefit out of out of uh out of out of source control um they should keep track of these things but yeah. you know unless they're working with a lot of system integrators which oftentimes they still are or there's a lot of people servicing the site you know it's, it's not as beneficial so i'd say the people who get the most benefit out of are like si teams of any size yeah. machine builder teams of any size larger advanced manufacturers that that have a lot of process already that this actually is, is augmenting because they'll just do a lot of these things manually yeah. um but it's just painful all of those are really big larger mid-market companies fit that kind of enterprise model and then like very small SMB end users, 
I think for like our existing solution as is, which is file management, not quite as as useful. Although if they're working with lots of SIs, I'd still say, you know, it's, it's a low price point uh, for, for that sort of user too, um, in terms of support and all that stuff as well. So it's it's like probably worth it. Um, and we do see people come in, it's just like one engineer and they're like, hey, I work with, you know, 20, you know, 10, 10, 20 SIs over the year. I just want this tool to make my life easier, you know? Uh, so that's yeah, kind of how I work. I completely agree with you. I mean, there's definitely a benefit of source control. Any developer out there can definitely appreciate that. But I'm actually going to touch uh, on some of the things that you mentioned, especially uh, the adoption of Git in the IT community, and that is supposed to control. Uh, and obviously, there have been a lot of different commercial uh, tools before Git, but they were not as well adopted as compared to Git. And one of the reasons why Git is so adopted, number one, obviously, it's very easy to use. Number two is going to be free, okay? <laughs> so in your case, I don't think your tool is going to be free. Do you think that, you know, uh, your tool is going to be adopted at the same level uh, as Git? Because, you know, Git is really open source, right? So do you think uh, companies are still going to adopt the tool, even if it is going to be a Yeah, so I would say this, Git, the pro Git as a open source project is free. Everything around Git has always costed money. Yep. So like, you know, if you're going to self-host your solutions, if you're going to pay for GitHub Enterprise, which yep. costs a lot of money, if you're going to pay for GitLab Enterprise, it's going to cost a lot of money. If you're self, even if you're using Git as a team, you run the whole stack yourself, you're still self-hosting Git servers as well. So you have to pay IT people to maintain that, which is often why people outsource it already to, yep. to GitHub or GitLab or, or us in the industrial space. So from my perspective, it's like Git has a lot of benefits. I think that like free actually for any sort of actual enterprise customer never really played into the equation very much. Yeah. Um, and that's quickly why GitHub and GitLab came around because they were like, hey, you know, we need to provide for, for these customers. You know what I mean? So I think for, for from my perspective, you know, the free piece is like just never really there. Yeah. Um, I think for our tool, you know, it's also specialized to industrials. So yeah. it enables, you know, visual diffing, visual rendering, all of that stuff, which I think, you know, is added benefit for, for customers and, and their workflow as well. Um, that goes outside of what, what just, just Git offers. And you actually bring a great point because, you know, in case of free Git, I don't know who is actually going to be owning the repository and who is going to be looking at the code. Because one thing that you don't want to do is, especially in case of your metric code, since you mentioned that, you know what, this is your manufacturing process, which is probably your IP. And you don't want to, you know, put it on public server where everybody can see what you are doing. So I would think that, you know, your privatized offering would make far more sense because you don't want to really release uh, your source as the open source just because you are using a free yeah. toolkit for the source control. Would you agree with that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's like, you know, for us, like the big benefit, one of the big underlying benefits that we are get server that's maintained. And then yeah. on top of that, obviously the industrial piece and all of that stuff that would require either organizational overhead, like having paying someone to maintain your Git server yeah. or vending up to another enterprise uh, sort of a solution. Um, we haven't had, honestly, in, in any of our sales calls, people go, well, Git's free. I'm going to just run my own server and, and do it myself. Um, you know, they're like, this is still a useful tool that we should have, you know. Okay, amazing. So that's it for today. Adam, do you have any last minute closing thoughts or remarks for our listeners? Oh, no. I mean, I mean, honestly, as I sort of look at these things, you know, and, and we were talking about this a little bit before the call, you know, the big thing is like, you know, DevOps is developer operations. You know, yeah. it's, it's an operational tool chain. I think any mature engineering org, especially as we see more and more code running on the, the plant floor, 
is going to be using a, a tool chain that looks like ours. And it's whether it's one that's built in-house, it's one that, you know, if you're totally committed to a given vendor, maybe you're using their tool chain, although almost everyone we see is multi-vendor now, especially larger, you know, enterprise customers, you know, ultimately these processes are what enable you to, to maintain efficiency for your teams, get things to market more quickly, and then also enable uptime, you know, make sure that your processes are working and, and, and ultimately, ultimately, you know, drive quality in the end product. So from my perspective, and part of why I have, you know, high optimism about our business and where we're going is, is I think, you know, whether it's us or someone else, although I obviously hope it's us, yeah. I think that there's no way in five to 10 years, enterprise organizations, system integrators, machine builders, even SMBs um, haven't embraced a solution like ours. It's just going to happen. I think it's inevitable because um, it just levels so much benefit and, and and we see so much you know excitement from, from engineers and, and leaders as, as we talk to them. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be, obviously, as a manufacturer, you are not going to be as sophisticated in the software development, but you have no idea how software how complex software development gets and what kind of challenges you are going to get if you don't have a managed software development process. So one yeah. thing that you can do to go easy on yourself is going to be to have that controlled release process, have that as yep. documented and, and preferably utilize some sort of tool uh, so that you have some visibility into where you might encounter any issues. On that note, Adam, I really want to thank you for your time. This has been a powerful thank episode. Thank you. Awesome. Of course. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Adam, head over to copia.io. If you are interested in trying Copia, you can sign up for a free 14-day trial there. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Tom Harrop from Splunk, who shares his insights into the core reasons for the organizational divide between IT and OT. Also, the interview with Jason Anderson, who shares his insights into edge technologies and how manufacturers and field service companies can take advantage of them. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.